Ron and Don from Radio to Real Estate. I don't think we could have gotten this house without Ron and Don. When you're ready to grab a cup of coffee and sit down with the guys, go to ronanddonsitdown.com. Hey, you guys. Are you ready for the best show in the Pacific Northwest? Here's my dad to his boyfriend hit hand. Friend. Hey, you guys, what's going on? It's episode number 138 of the Ron and Don Show. He's Ron Upshaw. I'm Don O'Neill. We're socially distancing live from the Les Schwab Studios. It's a picture perfect day in the great specific Northwest. And oh, yes, we are licensed brokers at Windermere. If you want to do a Ron and Don sit down, we have a brand new website. Everybody's checking it out and they are sending us their corrections. They are. RonandonSitdown.com. <laughs> We'd love it if you went out and proofread for us. Uh, yeah. People even caught mistakes I made in the request for proofreading. <laughs> so uh, there's been a couple of doozies that we found, so we appreciate that. And just before we get started, yeah. can I just call a shout out oh. to the air conditioning industry? Yeah. When, when I go buy like an $800 room conditioner yeah. that says it will air condition this many square feet, mm. it needs to air condition that many square feet. Yeah. Does my place feel $800 worth of air conditioning? I know. I just, it, it dropped four degrees. Yeah. You and I like it cold. You I, got, mean, you got, I want it at 70. You got like a buck 67 going on right now. Uh, That's about it. Yeah. It is like it's, 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 uh, bait and switched. Yeah. I got bait and switched. Yeah. Anytime it gets over 74 degrees, we are not happy here. No, in not Seattle, at all. Right? I, told, I called my mom yesterday. She's like, what's going on? I said, oh, the heat's killing me today. She said, what's the temperature? She's in Albuquerque. She says, 104 there. She said, what's your temperature? I said, 75. Anytime it gets over 74, it gets But 75. they have ACs that work down there. They do. Anyway, yeah. I don't mean to complain. Hey, coming up on the Ron and Don show, we have a lot to talk about as kids go back to school, or maybe they're not going back. And what about Pac-12 players? They've written a letter. And some schools that have opened, are they getting ready to close? We're going to talk about that. And also, Ron has written something really cool, you guys, because a lot of us are going through a lot of stuff right now. And is it hard for you at night sometimes to shut your brain down? Uh, he has some ideas for you. He's written about that. He shared that on social media. Go to Ron Upshaw's Facebook page, and I think you're really going to love it. So before we talk about that, though, let's talk about this. Something just happened. There was a huge court case here in the state of Washington, and someone just got awarded $98 million. And Ron, this goes back to a story that we were following on Terrestrial Radio. It's about two young boys, right? It is. Charlie and Braden uh, Cox. And if you remember the uh, the Josh Powell case, these were his kids with his wife. And uh, the Co- the Cox family is the, the parents of the wife. The wife, we believe, was killed by Josh in Utah. Susan. Yeah. Susan uh, Cox Powell. And so she, w- we believe, all the evidence points to her being murdered by her husband. Then he took the kids, brought them back to Washington Stakes, that's where his family was from. It's a very long and complicated story, and there's podcasts about it. There are numerous articles you can find about it. But the the part of the case that this was about is did the state of Washington, were they negligent when they allowed this father, who was suspected of murder, there was a strong case for him uh, to be a suspect in this murder, did they, were they negligent when they gave him access to the sons? And so that's what this case was about, because the state of Washington was warned. The state of Washington was on blast, if you will, of saying, look, 
uh, we don't think that this man should have access to these kids. And it was the Cox family when they actually got Charlie and Braden and they had custody. Their grades started improving. Their mental health started improving. They started to open up about the, the grief they were feeling that their mother was gone and it was most likely never coming back. So they were really improving uh, with the Cox family. And then, boom, a judge in Washington State says, no, the father still gets access as long as he does a couple things. One of them was to, to uh, maintain a household where the kids would have a room. And if you've ever gone through a, a family planning situation, you know what I'm talking about. Sometimes they'll even come over and inspect to make sure that there's a bed for each child and that they have accommodations that they're, that they're uh, of a certain standard. And so the, Josh did that. He sort of set up this dummy household and he was awarded uh, visitation privileges to the uh, and the Cox family was like protesting all the way along saying this man killed our daughter how in the world are you guys in your right mind allowing him to have visitation rights and so the the tragedy of this story is Super Bowl Sunday uh, several years ago when uh, Josh Powell took these two boys pushed a social worker out of the way because he was required to have a social worker present locked himself in the house and then he murdered those two boys in a very graphic and gruesome way and committed suicide ended up lighting the entire house on fire after doing some violent acts against his son and so that that's the backstory, and then it, this week it was just a judgment was rendered to say Washington State, you were negligent. Yeah, and we'll talk to Ann Bremner about it later on this week because she was the attorney for these two boys and for the family. And this is what I want you to think about because we're thinking about defunding the police, or we're thinking about looking at our police departments in a different way. I was talking to a friend of mine, Big John. He works on a job site on one of my rentals. He's our HVAC guy. And he's African-American, and he has nine grandchildren. And so we were chatting a little bit about policing. And he feels, he feels that police departments have to be totally dismantled. And that's what they're talking about doing here in the city of Seattle. That's what they've talked about doing in Minneapolis, dismantling these police departments. And when you dismantle them, then how do you put those back together? And in this particular case... I want us all to think about this because Josh did create this dummy household. And before that, when he was having visitation, there are actually centers that you can go where there are social workers at these centers and then a parent can show up and they can interact with the child at one of these child centers. What happened here is a judge said, no, you know what? If judge has a house or or if Josh has a house, he's allowed to have these children over. So the children were were brought by and they were brought by by a social worker who's a guardian. And that guardian's job is to go in the house with the two boys and with Josh as they sit there and visit and take notes. And if something happens, the guardian's job is to get on the phone, call 911 and ask the police to come and arrive. So what happened when the guardian got there and she got there with the two boys, Josh was there and he had already created a very macabre scene. He had gasoline bombs at the ready. He had hatchets where he's ready to murder these boys. He tried to murder them with these hatchets. That didn't work. So he blew them up with gasoline bombs and the police that had to walk through there afterwards, all of them. All of them had to go through very special counseling because of PTSD and what they saw when they walked through that very macabre scene. Here's my question for you. Some people believe that there should have been a police officer there that day with those two boys with a badge and a gun. 
representing law enforcement. And the question would be, because Josh came to the door and he was able to overpower the social worker. He pushed her out of the way. He pulled the boys in. He locked the doors. And then his plan was hatched. And he not only murdered those boys, but then he committed suicide and killed himself. Some people believe the reason he did that is because he had been doing harm to those boys. And the grandfather had been doing harm to those boys. And Josh was afraid that this was Josh's come out. father. We should point out what's that. Josh's father was doing that. Yeah, Stephen the grandfather. Powell. Yeah, who's who's also no longer with us. So the, the 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 question is this: If we're gonna defund the police, what do you do in a situation like this, where maybe a police officer should have been there, and now a family goes to court, and the state, which is us, all of us, we now have to write a check to that family. For $98 million. $98 million. So, if you're going to defund the police, what do you do in a situation where maybe you do need a badge, and maybe you do need a gun, and maybe you do do need somebody there to enforce the law? Because I'll tell you this, if a cop is there with a badge and a gun, I don't think Josh Powell gets away with it. I don't. And and what's your thoughts on how the state of Washington uh, operates in this regard? Because I remember other stories of a of a man that at the time was accused of murder in a, in a high profile case, hadn't been gone to trial yet. He was allowed to see his daughter, and in, in in prison, still had visitation rights because like, well, he hasn't been convicted yet. It's like he just hired a hitman to kill his business partner, and and he still has visitation rights. So I, I and I don't know because I'm not a parent, uh, but I have very strong feelings about it. That like I, I think there are, should be lower bars uh, in this state to say, yeah, you're not a good parent. You have not demonstrated that you're a good parent. You don't get visitation rights. That should be a privilege of being a decent human being. It should not just be taking seven-year-olds and nine-year-olds and, and putting them around influences like that, in my opinion. But there, obviously, the state doesn't agree with me. They say that, that you should. Well, they, that's the thing. These are the hard conversations we're gonna, we have to have if you want to defund or dismantle the police. These are the conversations that we have to have. Most people that commit murder do it one time. Most people that commit murder, murder someone that they loved or had loved at some point. Most people that commit murder, uh, there's a 911 call and a police officer shows up and then things escalate. And it's usually a partner killing another partner. Most of the time, most of the murders that happen in the US. So let's say two partners aren't getting along and someone calls 911, are you going to send a social worker? Because most of the time, when, when the police arrive and they show up, they don't know what is about to happen and what's about to unfold. And things escalate. And we always talk about, well, the de-escalation. Well, what happens when a cop tries to de-escalate and he can't? Or what happens when you send in a social worker without a badge and a gun, and they're going to de-escalate, and now everything escalates... And what are they going to do? And by the time they call 911, it's too late. Because guess what? That's what this social worker did in the Powell case. She called 911. By the time the cops arrived, the doors are locked. The house is on fire. Those boys have been murdered. It was too late. So I just want to make sure, as we're having these conversations, these important conversations, these impossible conversations, let's talk about the fact 
because we haven't talked about heroin in a long time. There are drugs on our streets that are so potent, you guys, they make people crazy. We have more guns than anybody around the world. And now what you want to do is defund the police, and you're going to send out social workers without guns in a country where everybody has 2.2 guns. In a country where the pot that people are smoking today or the drugs that people are doing today, it is not the summer of love because that stuff is so potent and people are dying each and every day. So I would just ask, as we're having these impossible conversations, let's think about what it's going to be like to send somebody in without a badge and a gun like we did in the Powell case and look what happened to those two boys. And now as a result, here we are years later as taxpayers awarding this family $98 million. And that's $98 million right now that the state of Washington, because of COVID, we do not have. It's the Ron and Don Show just getting started only on the Ron and Don Radio Network. They're hard workers, they're hustlers, and they're fun to hang out with at the same time. <laughs> when it comes to your real estate journey, it truly is one of life's biggest transactions. If you're downsizing, upsizing, or right-sizing, Ron and Don can help you buy, sell, or invest in real estate. It all starts with a Ron and Don sit-down. That's what commercial real estate expert Laura Miller did. I purchased a home in Alki, and it was a really cute uh, mid-century modern home. It was uh, a lot of more management than I expected. And I am a broker, but I do handle commercial. I don't do residential. And Don came with Ron. He was incredibly well-prepared. They were just really impressive. And the things that they outlined that they were, were going to provide, their services, were it just made it easy. It was a laydown. Ron and Don seemed completely committed to listening to what my needs were and addressing them. I also got the sense that they're adaptable to what different clients' needs are. So for me, what was important was communication, ability to reach the brokers, to feel like I still had a fair amount of control on the deal. I like to have a fair amount of communication as to what's going on in the market, what are you doing today, <laughs> to um, you know move the sale forward. And they were collaborative. They came forward with some really great ideas, even little details like, could you water the plant while you're there? They're like, uh, of course. And they would show me them watering the plant. <laughs> the weekend that we sold the house, um, they were really successful and they came up with some creative ideas and they were always present, completely available to accommodate my schedule. Uh, we did most of our meetings in what I would consider off hours, late night meetings, no problem. Never felt rushed always felt like they were really attentive to details. I can't wait to do another deal with them. It was great. It was awesome. You did really well. When you're ready to sit down with Ron and Don and start your real estate journey, schedule your time with the guys at ronanddonsitdown.com. Don't go anywhere unless you want to. It's the Ron and Don Show, starring Ron and Don, and sometimes me, at ronanddon.com. All right, you guys, what's going on? It is episode 138, once again, of the Ron and Don Show. And don't forget, we are licensed brokers at Windermere. We do something called the Ron and Don Sit Down. So if you'd like to sit down with us, all you have to do is go to ronanddonsitdown.com. That's ronanddonsitdown.com. And if you have a friend, that's looking to buy, sell, invest, or they just have a lot of questions. Please share that website. It's brand new. We love it. Thanks for checking it out too. Ron and Don sit down. 
Com. I had a lot of people reach out to me this week and say, wow, isn't it weird on these beautiful summer days, this would be the weekend that we would see Blue Angels flying overhead, right? And Blue Angels aren't flying overhead. This would be when Seafair has started. And we'd be talking about boat racing and drag racing on the water. And all of us, at some point, would take our families and uh, we'd head down to Lake Washington. Or you think about the Blue Angels even flying through the summer skies in downtown Seattle or over to Bellevue. It's not happening right now. And I walked into a Fred Meyer the other day and I saw all the school supplies and nobody buying school supplies. Because guess what? Maybe kids aren't going back to school this year. And in fact, a couple stories. Number one, let's take you to a junior high school in Indiana where they decided to go back to school. And Ron, what happened? Yeah, this is uh, Greenfield Central Junior High School in Indiana, as you just said. They said, you know what? We're going to do this. We are going back to school. The president has said we should go back to school. Uh, there's a lot of middle-class families where this is child care for most of the year. And so we want to get our economy going here in Illinois. And so we're going back to school. We're opening up the school. We have our protocols in place and uh in in the worst case scenario we're going to invoke this emergency plan and we're going to see what happens so worst case scenario was that a, a child that's going from class to class gets diagnosed positive with COVID-19 so they open up school uh, Thursday was the first day of class and they did not make it through Thursday before the emergency plan was invoked mm. so a child at this central junior high school uh tested positive so they immediately uh, shut it down. They had to try and notify every child that had been within six feet of this junior high kid, which if it's anything like my junior high, that's every kid. <laughs> yeah, right? totally. You're in, totally. The, you're in the hallways, you're in the lunchroom, you're yeah. on the outside messing around the playground at junior high, but they have little monkey bar areas and all that sort of stuff. Uh, so they basically said, okay, everybody mm. that came in contact with this 14-year-old, which is everybody, yeah. uh, you have to quarantine now for 14 days. So we have a situation here uh, which I think is going to happen over and over again. I was talking uh, to a relative of mine. My nieces are going back to college. Mm. Both schools, name brand schools, I don't want to give out too much private information, but big time schools with big time tuitions. Uh, They're taking one daughter back to campus today as we're speaking. But so they're, they're inviting kids to come back to campus to either live on campus and do all the meal service and thing that's included with your meal card. Uh, or if you have an apartment uh, like upperclassmen that live off campus or in the Greek system, come back. Most of the almost all the classes are online. So you're going to go back. It's OK to live on campus with all these 18 to 23 year olds. Well, we're not going to put you in a classroom, but you can be in the dorm room. And you have a kegger and party your her off. Yeah, you can have a kegger and party your her which, off. Which is happening. Uh, you can go to the, the meal hall. Uh, you can probably go to the football practice, but you can't actually go to the classroom. So... I or, can't, go, or go to the football game. Right. I can't see how this lasts longer than a week, but we'll see. Mm-hmm. So she went back there today. This school in Indiana lasted one day. Um, I just, I don't see how we do this right now. Yeah. I, just I, don't. I, I have a friend of mine, one of, one of my real estate partners. His daughter goes to WSU. And so they're paying WSU. Uh, the, full the, freight? I'm sure it's full freight. It's, they're paying the full freight. She is moving to, he, he is with her right now. They are looking for an apartment in San Diego. 
And the reason they're looking for an apartment in San Diego is she's always wanted to live in San Diego. And they figure, you know what? You might as well live somewhere where you want to be. It's silly to go live in Pullman, Washington, because uh, there's no, it, it doesn't matter where you're at, because all her courses, every single one of her courses are online. So she's going to live in San Diego. Why not? And they're still going to pay full freight to go to WSU. They're going to hope for a vaccine at some point, but at least she's living somewhere. And she's actually living there with a couple other students from WSU. They're just like, hey, let's live for, in San Diego for a chapter of our lives. So that's what's happening here. You think about the Pac-12, right? Uh, and WSU and Washington and all that. What are these football teams going to do? Because if baseball is the model, if baseball is the model, we look at the NBA, NBA's in the bubble baseball's in kind of a bubble and now they're saying they might have to stop the season and wait a couple weeks till some of these teams that have covid till it clears up and then they'll start the season again and what they may have to do baseball may have to commit to being in a bubble with football and people may not know this like in the pac-12 and usually the home team Anyone can walk on and, and, and they'll give you the gear and you suit up. You may never play, but they need you for practice because they need Rudy Rudigers in practice. There are some Pac-12 teams out there that have 100 players that suit up uh, for a game on a Friday night or Saturday or whatever it is. You have 100 players. That's a lot more than the NBA. In the NBA, you have under 400 players that are out there playing, right? So the question is this. If the NBA has a hard time containing it, they're in the bubble. Baseball has fewer players uh, and more professionals, and they're trying to do a better job of staying in some kind of bubble because there's so much money on the line. How's the Pac-12, and how are collegiate athletes, how are they going to pull this off around the country? I want everyone, if you can, to go out and find this article on the Players' Tribune. It's written by a group of Pac-12 football players that are that say, we are united, and you can see the list of who these players are. Uh, and this it's a remarkable piece of writing. I'm just going to read a little bit of it to you, though. It says, to ensure future generations of college athletes will be treated fairly, we are united. Because the NCAA sports exploit college athletes physically, economically, academically, and also disproportionately harm black college athletes, we are united. In rejecting the NCAA's claim that black lives matter, while also systematically exploiting black athletes nationwide, we are united. Because we're being asked to play college sports in a pandemic, in a system without enforced health and safety standards, and without transparency about COVID cases on our teams, the risk to ourselves, our families, and our communities, we are united. And because we must have adequate COVID testing to help protect our health we are united so it goes on it continues to list all these things that they're united about and so they are asking the the pac-12 and the ncaa do some things including revenue sharing including saying hey guys uh you're we're disproportionately uh, people of color you're making a huge amount of money and we don't make any money. We can't use our image or likeness. All of these old things that have been going around for a while. And they're also not able to have representation when they're asked to sign a contract to play football during a pandemic. Mm. You can't get if you, you, you lose your amateur status if you hire a lawyer or an agent. So they're just saying, sign this. Go out and play. Risk your health. And these players, including some kids on the University of Washington, uh, University of Oregon, Stanford, all the, all the Pac-12 schools, 
are saying we're united in this because it's not right. And and again, I am going to side with the players on this. The NCAA, in my opinion, is the most draconian backwards institution when it comes to sports in America. It is not 1850 anymore. Uh, it is, there are video games, there are bowl games, there are billion dollar uh, television contracts, and you are preying on uh, disadvantaged young people. You are preying disproportionately on people of color, and you're using their bodies up for a couple years when 98% of them do not make it to pro. So what should happen here? Like in Stanford, they're just shutting, they're, they're just shutting teams down, and they're not planning on bringing them back. The only two sports that make money in college typically are men's basketball and men's football. That's it. And the money they make and the money they bring in typically carries all the other sports. And Stanford has recognized that. And they said, look, we may not be playing men's basketball and men's football this year. And as a result of that, we can't carry these other sports. We only have a $27 billion endowment. We don't know how we could afford a few golf balls. Isn't that incredible? Yeah. $27 billion endowment. Yeah, so they're shutting down all the all these teams. What do you think the answer is here, Ron? Do you think the players should dig hey, in and players. say, we're not, we're not playing? Or should they say, hey, we're going to play, but we're going to take some risk here. And we should no. find it. We, there should be some financial gains as a result. I think that some of the major schools in SEC and maybe Pac-12 break off of the NCAA and create a marketplace like every other sports marketplace in the world. If you're a, a, a soccer player in Europe and you're 14 and you're a uh, Lionel Messi, you can go pro. You can get paid for what you're worth because you're an extraordinary player. You don't have to go to some false risk your body for four years uh, college when you don't want to go to college. So create a marketplace where it's like, hey, if Alabama wants to pay a quarterback $2 million to play college football, then let them do it. And if the University of Washington finds a, a defensive lineman and they want to pay him, then pay him. Because that's what we're talking about. When, when, when the teams in the conferences can make television deals in eight and nine figure deals, and they get to keep for the whole conference television deals, uh, bowl games, m hundreds of millions of dollars every season during bowl game season. And everybody gets paid except for who? The athletes. And most of them think they're going to go pro, and most of them do not. Less than 2%. So people, a, people say, well, they got an education. So, I, I, and they who got, cares? And they got uh, pizza at the training table. The, 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 yeah. The, 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 the deal is a raw one for all these kids. It's time to do away with this, the NCAA the way it's set up. They don't enforce rules fairly. They don't enforce, uh, you know, if you're a, a, a blue chip school, and you're bringing in lots of money, do you think they really have you under a microscope uh, when you do a recruiting violation? Come on. Yeah. So, like, there are stories after story after story. So I I'm with the players on this one, and, and I hope that more Pac-12 players jump onto this movement after they read this and say, yeah, you know what? They make a lot of good points. Well, we, I should get uh, be able to traffic in my own image and likeness in my talent. Mm. Why is that not worth any money if uh, a fellow college student writes an app that takes off and becomes a millionaire, how come I get $0 for my talent? Yeah, and you make a good point because a lot of apps that some Stanford students have created and then they've gone on to become multi-billionaires, uh, they were able to create that technology while they're at Stanford, while they were students there, and they were able to sell that technology. So we come back. Uh, Ron has written something pretty extraordinary that seems to be resonating with a lot of people today. And... Uh, 
if you go to Ron Upshaw, find him on Facebook, uh, you can read what he wrote. But uh, he's going to read it for you next. All right? It's the Ron and Don Show, only on the Ron and Don Radio Network. If you find yourself dreaming about a new home, go from just a dream to the dream team. Schedule your time at ronanddonsitdown.com. Hey, you guys. Thanks for listening to episode 138. We're live from the Les Schwab Studios, and we are getting close to over 600,000 plays of the Ron and Don Show. And we have these little graphs, and it shows us how long you guys listen. You li- I don't know how this happens. You listen to the entire episodes almost every single time so thank you for doing that we appreciate you and we love you and it means so much to us and thanks for giving us thanks for giving us great lives all right we really have great lives you may be struggling with something as you get older uh your brain hard to shut it down you're getting ready to go to sleep and i know for me it was really hard and that's when i started drinking more is when it was time to go to bed and I couldn't shut my brain down. And I would just start to get overwhelmed with stuff. Uh, And Ron and I have been talking about this privately and he just shared something publicly. It's really cool. So uh, it's something he's written and something he wanted to express and, and share with you. I struggle to get out of my own head. For whatever reason, it's very difficult for me to turn my brain off. I can ruminate on things over and over again. Many days, I'm exhausted, practically falling asleep on the couch. Then I go to bed, and boom, I'm wide awake, thinking, did I get that form signed for the client? I think I did. What about that appointment tomorrow? Am I ready to go? Yeah. When are we going to go back to normal? Who knows? On and on and on until I finally fall asleep. So for years, I've been trying to find ways to quiet my mind. I got a therapist. That helps out. I started doing a daily guided meditation. That helps me as well. I use the Waking Up app from Sam Harris because people always ask which one I use. I'll try reading at night or watching some YouTube videos, sometimes a stiff drink after dinner. Most of the time, I'm still up in my head. The thing that really did the trick for me, though, is being out in nature especially by water and a campfire. So after daydreaming about this for a long time, a little over two years ago, I purchased a piece of raw land on the Skykomish River, a little over an hour drive from my place in Seattle. There had absolutely been nothing done to this parcel of land, but I instantly became enamored with the slice of river that it sits on. You can see pictures on my Facebook. I knew it would be a ton of work, but I kind of like having a project. So I began to plow ahead with the hopes that one day I could get done with work drive up there and have a campfire going by sunset. I wasn't entirely sure it would be the thing that would give my overworked mind relief, but I hoped that it would be. I wanted a place I could just disconnect for a little bit. Things seemed to be pretty secure in my life. Ratings and revenue were good at the radio station. I didn't see any reason that our contract wouldn't get renewed. Doing this project would give me a fun thing to occupy my weekends. While I lined up someone to clear the land and build me a little gravel driveway, I started to shop around for a tiny house. I've been really into the idea of a tiny house for like 15 years. I always thought I would love it, but I wouldn't know until I had one. Seemed like a very expensive experiment I was embarking on, but I figured if I didn't like it, I could always just sell it. I bought a tiny house 
from a guy in Arizona. I had to install a brand new kitchen, bring out an electrician to beef up the wiring, and do countless other things to get it the way I wanted it. Things were moving along nicely. My dream was becoming a reality. Then, in the midst of a kitchen remodel, we lost our jobs at Cairo. I'd already purchased all the materials. I was actually meeting my contractor and electrician two days after we got our pink slip. Instead of canceling that, I decided to push ahead. I think I might have been shell-shocked at the moment. So flashback to January of last year. I'm out of work. I have a 30% developed lot on a river and an almost done tiny house in a secure lot in Seattle. This is not exactly how I thought this story was going to end. So after a lot of sleepless nights and endless rumination, it seemed like the best course of action for me was to sell the tiny house. I could use that money at the time, and I thought I'd just have to revisit this wacky dream another day. All spring and summer of 2019, while I was starting my new career with Don at Windermere, I had that tiny house on the market. There was a lot of interest. I showed it many times, almost sold it a few times, but it just didn't sell. I dropped the price. A few more deals fell through. I made a few trips up to my lot during this time just to go sit on this rock down by the water. I still love the land, and I hoped that it would all work out, but I thought it would be a few more years down the road at least. As summer turned to fall, the real estate business started to take off in fits and starts. I thought that maybe I'd be able to hold on to this dream after all. Well, I didn't sell the tiny house. I got it moved into the lot about six months ago. And after more than two years since I signed on the bottom line, I had a huge milestone yesterday. I finally got my power hooked up. Shout out to my friend Danny. He came up and wired some things uh, so that I can plug in and turn on the fridge and the cooktop and the heater. Here's the kicker, though. Having this place to escape to, it does help me quiet my mind. Sitting by that campfire, listening to the river, it does the trick for me. There have been quite a few setbacks, but I'm almost there. There's a long to-do list ahead of me, but it all seems more doable now. Well, I think uh, that has resonated with people. and That's blown up on Facebook right now. and People are really reacting, responding. Uh, and sharing their hearts with you. What do you? What do you? What do you think? I guess I'm not the only one that has this thing where you just feel like you're on a hamster wheel and you can't disconnect. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it is. Uh, and you've been up there. Uh, you and uh, Gunner came up. Something about sitting around a campfire. I don't know if it brings back childhood memories or what it was. I bought a campfire guitar for you this week, so we can come up and we can jam. Nice. Uh, and it just it. I don't think about stuff. I mm-hmm. think about. Watching the fire, mm. getting another log, looking at the river, uh, take out the binoculars and look at the eagle that just flew by. I don't know. It's so that works for me. And I can walk up into the woods. Uh, there was a bear sighting this week, so I didn't walk up into the woods. Oh. But um, I think people just, there, there's something out there that will quiet your mind. Find, find out what that is and lean into that. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I have a little note on my mirror. I write to myself, and when I wake up in the morning, I look at it, and it just says, Don, who needs your A-game today? And sometimes it's a partner. Sometimes it's a client. Sometimes it's my mother. Sometimes it's my son. Sometimes it's my dog. Sometimes it's me. And at the end of the day, when I'm trying to quiet my mind, I ask myself every night, did you bring your A-game to the person that you chose this morning? And in doing so, Did you live freely? Did you love fully? Did you learn something? And did you help someone? Three L's and an H. Learning, living, loving, helping. When I do that, 
and I can shut my mind down and go to sleep. Nothing like a roaring river, though, and a campfire and some s'mores, and I hope to God we play some John Denver on those get fiddles, right? Some John Denver. I'll be up. We'll play the whole guitar. He's Ron. I'm Don. Keep your head up. Keep your shoulders back. Keep hanging out at your tiny house. Keep living, loving, learning, and helping. And go to ronadonsitdown.com yeah. if you need us. Ronadonsitdown.com. Thanks for doing that. We'll see you next time for episode 139, right? Thanks for giving us great lives only on the Ronadon Radio Network. Hey, thanks for listening to the Ron and Don Show. Now keep your head up and your shoulders back and find some black belt courage. Ah! I'm not kidding. <laughs>